I'm Amanda Pittman, and this is the Confident Woman Podcast. This podcast was created to equip you to stand confidently upon the finished work of Jesus. In this community, we'll talk about what you care about most, living shamelessly for Jesus, speaking unapologetically for truth, and bringing heaven to earth. So make yourself comfortable. We're going to chop it up, keep it real, and change the world. Welcome back to the Confident Woman Podcast. And for those of you who are choosing to watch, welcome back to Confident Woman TV. Today's episode is going to be amazing. It's going to be a blast. We have a special guest, Kate Warman, with us. So before we jump in, I want to tell you a little bit about Kate. Kate is an inspirational speaker, a relationship coach, and the host of the Heart of Dating Podcast. She helps thousands of men and women on their journeys the conversations on her podcast, social media platforms, one-on-one relationship coaching, and online courses. And I love following Kate on Instagram. She's just a blast on Instagram. I love that she really gets into the reels and she's going to get your whole life together when it comes to relationships. So definitely follow her on Instagram. And something really cool and amazing is coming up this February. She is releasing her first book, titled, Thank You for Rejecting Me, Transform Pain into Purpose and Learn How to Fight for Yourself. Um, And in her new book, she's going to vulnerably share about how she grew through her deepest, darkest rejections. Uh, And she offers readers the tools to heal from her past, take back their power, and walk in victory. So I'm super excited to have Kate here. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. Thanks, Amanda. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Super happy to have you. So I'm so we know that you're in the relationship space and it's something you're passionate about. It's what yes. your whole ministry is just uh, centered around. So I want to know your singleness story. We want to know a little bit about the backstory. Like what has singleness been like in your life? Like tell us a story. Yes, man. I'm like, okay, how much time do we got over here? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, I do believe that God calls us oftentimes into things, into leading in the areas in which we've had the most experience um, for better or for worse, you know? And so for me, my singleness and dating journey has been a long one. I'm now 31 and I'm still single, you know, I'm just over here like this. And, uh, but I have learned so much in this process. So Um, From ages basically 14 to 24, I dated nonstop. I just, I remember I moved that year from Connecticut to Ohio and I became quote unquote the new girl at school in high school. And, you know, I don't know why, but my parents did allow me to date at the time, like from 14. I mean, there it was that awkward time when your parents drop you off at the movie theater and you're like, okay, see you in two hours. (laughs) You know, it's like so weird. And then after the date, you're just like in the car with your parents. And it's so weird. Anyway. um, So from 14 to 24, I dated nonstop. I dated every different kind of guy, different scenarios, long distance scenarios. Um, I dated non-believers. I dated believers. I myself went like this, like up and down in faith throughout those years. And I dated guys that were, you know, the really cute guys, the model guys, and then guys that I didn't think were my type at all. And I challenged myself to be a little bit more open. These just all different kinds of people. And that 10 year stint ended, unfortunately, with a two and a half year relationship that was really toxic and incredibly abusive. 
and abusive, not just physically, though it was physically abusive. It was abusive emotionally and mentally and sexually. And I had never been in that kind of a toxic situation before. Uh, But what I had developed through my years was a lot of different codependency tendencies, Um, codependency tendencies, say that twice, you know. And so when I was in this relationship, I really clung onto this man. And when he started treating me poorly, I didn't know that, first of all, I didn't like I was so in shock because that had never really happened to me like that before, but I had put so much of my identity and needing the approval of a guy specifically. And I had throughout those 10 years, put so much of my identity in relationships, in dating. And therefore when this guy was mistreating me, I was like, my sole purpose is to get him to love me, to like me, to convince him that I'm worth it. Um, And so I spent two and a half years in this merry-go-round of the abuse cycle. And it really, by the end of those two and a half years, sought to destroy all of who I was. I remember after that, there was just piles and piles and piles of shame. I hated myself. I was really skinny. I was very unhealthy, just like emotionally, but also physically. And I felt alone. I felt... Um, I felt like I couldn't trust myself uh, because through a process of gaslighting for many years, which is basically somebody discounting your feelings and your needs, you start questioning everything about yourself and you start thinking, wait a second, wait a second, I shouldn't be defending myself, but I am is this person right? Am I right? Like who's right here? Even though, even if you have hard truth, true facts, like you you could be showing them, this is what you did. And they're still like, nope, you're dramatic. Nope. You made it up. And over time you start weirdly believing it. And so it was, it was just terrible, Amanda. And I um, eventually got out of that relationship um, and it's longer story, but eventually got out of that. And I felt at the lowest I had ever been in my life after that relationship. And I had to take a hard look in the mirror and basically say, wait, like the last 10 years I have been dating nonstop and I've never been single. Like I had rarely been single in those 10 years up until the age of 24. And I realized like, who is Kate without men? Like who is Kate without a relationship, without feeding this inner sense of performance and needing that love from a guy? Like who, who am I without guys in my life? And I realized I didn't know the answer to that question because I hadn't spent enough time figuring out who I was. I was morphing and shaping myself to be this girl that all the guys wanted to be with. And after tirelessly doing that with an abuser, somebody who you're never going to be enough for, (laughs) um, you start, you're like in this place where like, well, who am I really then without all of this? So I went on a journey of rebuilding and that was very hard when the hardest times in my life of, um, working through the lies, working through the shame, getting healing, uh, through therapy. I went to a lot of therapy. I also went to and sought mentorship and spiritual mentorship specifically and a process of inner healing and hearing God's truth. It was the true, the first time in my life I started actually hearing the voice of God because Amanda, I was convinced and looking back now that there was so much shame that it built up. It was like a wall. So even though I would go to church and I would say, yes, I love God. Yes, I he loves me. Like my heart didn't know it because there was this giant wall of shame blocking me from truly allowing that shame, that love to enter my heart. And I know that, I mean, that is what the enemy uses in relationships when relationships don't work out. 
And so I had to kind of read, like undo that wall, go through each pile of shame that had been built up, which was so hard, um, leading me to three years of singleness. And when I finally was ready to date again, I said, you know what? I am not going to find myself in those kinds of situations. So I started researching. I started reading. I started learning. I'm an Enneagram three. So I was like, I want to learn everything there is to <laughs> about dating, you know, <laughs> like, tell me all the things. And so I would like listen to all the sermons. I would go through my favorite pastors and find like that one sermon even that they had, like, cause you know, sometimes it's only like once a year and I'd be like, okay, that sermon. And I would cling to it. I'm like, that is it. And, and then I would find books. But what I realized at that time was there weren't a lot of resources, you know, there wasn't a lot on dating. And so, um, and that leads me into like how I started Heart of Dating, but One of the books I read, which I highly recommend to everyone listening from Dr. Henry Cloud, who's a psychologist, and he wrote the book Boundaries, which he's really well known for. But he also wrote this other book that is underrated and so good. It is called How to Get a Date Worth Keeping. And it transformed my view on dating. A lot of people have not read it. And I'm like, go read it. Uh, And it basically re like it revamped my picture of dating and how to date and keep an open mind while also having standards, but not like squeezing the process because I had done it. So I'd been hurt so much. My tendency was to go the opposite way, which was to like be a fortress and not let anybody in unless it was the absolute perfect man of God, (laughs) you know, like, which is not going to happen either because nobody's perfect. So Dr. Cloud's book really helped me to find that balance between protecting my heart, but seeing dating as an awesome opportunity to learn about myself, to learn about other people, to learn about God, to have good experiences to diversify my ability to connect and communicate with people. And honestly, it was, it started being an enjoyable process. One where if it didn't work out with that guy I was dating, it didn't destroy me. I was like, that's okay. Like this is another man of God and I want the best for him. It just wasn't me or he wasn't it for me. Great. Like on to whatever else God has for me, you know? Yeah. Now I say that, and obviously I'm taking a lot of your time here, but I will say even in that journey, I also still went through heartbreak and still really felt the devastation of breakups, which are never easy. And so today I stand before you still single. Um, I did go through a breakup last year. Happy to talk about that. And I'm a human. So grief really does still hit me and it's hard. And there's moments where I feel lonely And because I believe that you can have both and, and I have hope in my future. And I have hope that I believe that God tells us in the Bible so specifically that hope isn't the absence of pain. So we still can have hope even amid all the pain and the hardship and the heartbreak and the rejection, there can still be hope and there can still be joy. So today I'm single. I do enjoy it. I actually really do. And I still have that desire to get married. So that's where we're at today, Amanda. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that story with me. I love hearing your singleness story. And I think it's so important to hear Um, Mm. specifically for my my audience. A lot Mm. of women will ask me like, hey, Amanda, what tips do you have for singleness? And I tell them, I tell them straight up, I can't give you any tips on singleness whatsoever. I'm not a credible source because I was never single. 
I was that girl. I was that girl yes. jumping from relationship to relationship. Um, I relate a lot to your story about being yes. in a relationship. It was about two and a half years as well. Mm-hmm. Um, very toxic. Uh, there was no, there was no physical abuse, but there, um, all other types of abuses. Wow. And and so I relate to that. But after that relationship, I met my husband, and we got married really quickly. Um, and yeah. he happened to be, you know, the one. He happened to be the one that. God had for me. And, and, and so whenever I think about singleness, I need, we need more women like you, mm-hmm. more women who are actively single, single by choice, <laughs> who are able to say, Hey, you, your identity can still be in Christ. You can still walk in wholeness. Um, but you can also acknowledge the pain that you felt, mm-hmm. acknowledge the grief of a breakup mm-hmm. and someone who's not going to be married and undermine your pain because let's be honest when you've been married for a while you know you start to forget you start it and, and it becomes a, a more distant memory um and I th- and I have to think back to those moments when I was when I was uh, dating around and you have to think back like there's so much pain associated with that and the further you are away from that pain um the further away you are from from the source of that uh, mm-hmm. I think you you're not as um, present to that and, and the women who are walking through that. And so I just so appreciate your voice in that space. Um, I love that you're speaking to the singles. Um, and I love that you're, you're in process, you know, because I, I see a lot of married women speaking to singles, um, which I don't think is wrong. There are single who speak to married, like Paul, he was a single. Yes, there we go. Um, That's okay. I, I think the Lord uses all but I, what I love that's unique about you is that you're still single um, and, and you're waiting on your spouse. You're, you're, you're preparing for your spouse. Um, but I think that it's, it's beautiful that women can see where you're at and you're standing in a place of victory um, right now. So how would you say you overcome self-rejection to find wholeness while single? Because that's what your book is about, um, yeah. overcoming that rejection. Thank you for rejecting me. Um, how do you overcome that self-rejection? define wholeness. Yeah. So the book is, it's so interesting because I wrote this book, not just for heartbreak, you know, heartbreak is one element of rejection. And people assume that my book is just about like a heartbreak, breakups, and it's not because rejection happens in a plethora of forms. We can feel rejection from friends, from family, from jobs and opportunities not working out. We can feel rejection from the church. We can feel rejection from God. And then we can also feel rejected um, from ourselves. And what you're asking, the question you're asking is about self-rejection. And so the book actually opens with two chapters that are based and rooted in the ways that we self-reject. Because if we reject ourselves, then like we we will be that much more uh, willing to accept the lies that come with rejection from others. So we have to be able to address some of the root of self-rejection. Now, some of the biggest way that self-rejections come in, and I talk about this in the first two chapters, is for women specifically through body image and insecurity and how we see ourselves. That's probably the biggest shame trigger for women is their bodies. Um, And then secondly, through just self-hatred, how the things that we hate about ourselves, we don't like about ourselves, the ways we internally berate ourselves, all the shame that we have living inside of us for ourselves, whether we even externally admit to that or not, there are layers of that living inside of us that need to be exposed to the light, exposed to the truth and love of God. And 
So the so I'll just take self rejections. I mean, after my abusive relationship, I again going back to that, I hated myself. There were things that I just did not like. I blamed myself entirely for being naive. Um, I also, you know, was never. I felt like I was never enough for this guy. He was cheating on me very consistently, and just all the the stew of all the different toxicity really made me question my appearance, my body what I thought about myself, the lies I believed about myself. And so it led then into eventually after that, not only did that relationship affect me, I was working like a crazy woman. I lived in New York City at the time. I people, a lot of people don't know this. I used to be a fashion buyer. So I was working in New York, like working this job of being a fashion buyer and in the big city. And so I was working all the time and it ended up translating to, I wasn't sleeping. I didn't know what stress was. I didn't know how to manage my stress. And that eventually started affecting my body, you know, over years and years and years of not sleeping, having constant state of tension and anxiety in your body, it starts doing things in your body negatively. So my body started, um, fluctuating. My weight started fluctuating. I started feeling really ill all the time. I was like sick every two weeks and I got a series of tests and I realized that I had some hormonal imbalances. But what happened at the time was because my body was fluctuating and my weight was suddenly going up and down, I started that much more being self-conscious about, I mean, I had started with this route of, I don't like myself and then my body is changing. And now suddenly I'm 10 pounds, five to 10 pounds heavier. And I'm like, I hate what I see in the mirror. And then I started comparing myself to previous versions of myself, like, but I used to be skinny, but I used to look like that. And every morning I'd lift up my shirt just to hope that like, maybe it would be flatter. Like it was like a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And it, it formed these patterns and tendencies that made it so that um, I was so afraid of going out in public because of what people would see. I didn't want to be in photos because I thought if people, if they, if I was photographed and put on the internet, like people could clearly tell I had gained weight. I mean, I was just so in my head about what people saw of me and it really stemmed through what I saw of myself. And so I had to bring some of all of that to God to say, you know, at some point in our lives, when we are children, we are like running free and we don't think about those things. You know, we we're like little girls and we are God created us with such purity and such innocence. And then somewhere along the way, there's messaging that comes to say your body isn't enough as it is. And it comes through a variety of means. So what I had to do in my process of learning to accept myself, my beauty, my image, my body was to undo all of those negative influences that had impacted how I saw beauty and come back to what does God say about my body? What does God say about beauty? What defines beauty? Is it some like stereotypical shape? Or is that God, did God create us as a mosaic with different shapes and sizes? And is it that my God, my body is wholly beautiful and wonderful as it is? And what if I could learn to just love and accept this temple that he has created? Now, saying that right now sounds easy, but really understanding that and going through the layers to embrace that and walk that out is hard. So just practically what I had to do specifically, Amanda, 
I'm mainly landing on this body image thing because I think it hits so many women and how they show up in dating. They don't think that their appearance is enough. They're pretty enough. They're going to be whatever enough for a guy. And we put so much pressure on ourselves as women to adhere to some sort of standard there, you know? And I think not only do we put pressure on ourselves, the media puts pressure on us. I think men also put pressure on us. There's a lot of layers in there, right? And so what I had to do was be really careful about my internal dialogue. Like we are the only ones that are in control of what we're thinking about. And we are talking to ourselves all the time. And like, we say things like you're ugly, you're fat, you don't look good. I mean, would we ever say those things out loud to somebody else? You know, like, hopefully not. (laughs) Like, I would not say to my best friend when she asked me like, hey girl, do you like this dress on me? I'd be like, no, I would never say, oh, you look fat. I mean, I don't, I mean, even just saying that out loud right now, it makes me feel uncomfortable because I would never say that to somebody. Um, But we say it to ourselves. You know, we are our own worst bully. Our internal thoughts are like bullying ourselves consistently and we're rejecting ourselves with each and every one of those thoughts. We're saying your body is not enough. You are not pretty enough. Like we are the ones perpetuating these lies. And it has to, like, if we're going to stop rejection from hurting us so badly throughout life, it has to first stop with self-rejections and one of them being the way we see our bodies and our appearance and our beauty. So what defines your beauty? If you notice that culture, media, men, all of that, or things in your past have defined you, you need, we need to start unraveling those layers to come back to the truth of what God says about your body and your beauty. And my favorite one of my favorite um, chapters is Psalm 139 or Psalms, I should say, because it's not really a chapter, but Psalm 139, you know, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It talks about how God knit you together in your mother's womb and he did it perfectly. That Psalm is like a love letter. And I just read it like as my anthem so often because it helps to remind me, I don't, God created us as a mosaic, a unique tra- tapestry and my body and the exactly how he created me is exactly how it should be and how he wanted it to be. And you, Amanda, he created your body and your beauty exactly purposely how it is, you know, with every placement of a hair on our head of how our body is formed and shaped, it was all purposeful and it is all beautiful. But if we don't look through the layers of what beauty really is to us and then redefine it, through understanding how what God really sees about that, we'll be stuck living and trying to adhere to this ever-changing standard of what media, culture, people around us are saying. So that's the first thing. I think other things for me is just major accountability. Like I've had to tell friends in my life, hey, if you hear me talking badly about my body or about myself, just referee me, you know, literally I give you permission to say, Kate, that's not very nice to yourself. Like I don't like, let's reframe that, you know, because I need that accountability. I need, if I am saying something out loud, that's like, Oh, I feel, I look so fat in this or Oh, like I, I shouldn't have done that. Like, Oh, I was just so terrible. I was so stupid to say that thing or do that thing. Like I need that accountability, that close intimacy with friendships to redirect me and say, Nope, stop girl. Like I'm going to help you referee in the situation and that's not kind. So we're just going to replace that with truth. We need those bumpers in our life, which come through friendships. Uh, also just maybe an obvious one, but I got to say it is 
just media, watch your media consumption. What accounts are you following on Instagram and what is contributing to the, a negative view of yourself? Uh, and it could even be, and this is not to say these people are doing anything wrong, but maybe you're following an influencer who always looks like she's wearing perfect makeup. She's really skinny. She's whatever. And just seeing her constantly is affecting you because you're comparing yourself to her. Maybe right now you take a pause from following that influencer. She's not doing necessarily anything wrong, but right now that is not helping you heal the version of what, how you see yourself. So you mute her, you unfollow her for this time period. My thing, and I want to encourage everyone listening, we need to take radical ownership of this for ourselves. God is not going to make you do these things. He will come alongside of you. He will help you. He will guide you. He will love on you. But you have to tap into it for yourself. You have to take the steps. He's not going to force you to take the step. I think of the man of Jesus with the man at the pool of Bethesda, the paralytic, um, who was laying there. And he comes over to him, right? And the man has been laying there for like, tens of years. I don't it's something in like 30 years or something crazy, right? And the man is laying there and Jesus is like, "Do you want to be healed?" And the man instead of just immediately being like, "Yes, I want to be healed." He like goes into this whole excuse of like, "But I've been laying here and it's so hard and yada yada," right? And Jesus is like, "Get up off your mat and walk like right now." And which means the man has to make the first step. He didn't even offer his hand. He just said, he put it in the the paralytic's hand. You can do this, but you need to take the first step to make it happen. So a lot of times we're living under this like victim mentality of like, I believe all these things and they are so hard and they are so hard. And we have the power. You have more power within you than you can ever imagine. Don't let the world tell you otherwise. Even if it's been a long time, even if there's piles and mounds of shame, you can take the first step to start conquering some of these self-limiting beliefs and narratives. Whew. I just preached at you, Amanda. There you go. <laughs> I, love it. I love a good preach. I'm just like, amen. Amen, Kate, go off. I'm here for it. <laughs> I really love everything that you say. And I think that it, it touches on a pain point that's so near and dear to so many of our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to the ever-changing standard. Um, mm-hmm. Because, it, I mean, it could even be depending on the kind of guy that you're dating, you know? Right. Each mm-hmm. different kind of guy could have a different type, and now you have to, you know, you feel the pressure to change yourself to become this version of you to to meet his desires, and and, and, and it's just a never-ending battle. Uh, and And there's no standard. There's just no standard of beauty. And, and I love that you touched on that ever-changing standard. And we have to be real with ourselves and say, there's absolutely no way that I could be everyone's preference. There's absolutely no way um, that I'm even going to become my own preference if my standard of beauty is constantly changing, yes. you know, by what the media says is c- cool and popular now, you know? Yes. Um, and so I just, I love that you said that. And I, and I also... Um, really relate to how dating can impact your your body image and your self perception. Mm-hmm. I mean, in in the toxic relationship I was in um, mm-hmm. that I referred to earlier, it was a very sexually driven relationship, just mm-hmm. a lot of like sexual manipulation. And when you've been objectified that much, mm-hmm. you start to believe like this is what I'm worth. Like my body, my appearance, this is this is my contribution to society. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you've been just kind of indoctrinated like that, it's hard to 
to break free of that. And it really, my eyes started to open up actually when I began to, um, date my husband. And even whenever we got married, it's just like, I, he saw me through so many phases, like gaining a bunch of weight while I was pregnant and then seeing my postpartum body and seeing me snatch back and then seeing the ebbs and flow of coronavirus body. Like he's seen it all uh, up and down. And I've seen his, his constant love for me. And I, and I believe that it's a picture of, of God's love for us and, and how it's not dependent on, how we look or how perfectly presented we are. Um, but it's because he's good and he made a commitment to us that his love for us is constant. And so um, we can root ourselves in that. And so I, I think that being in a hypersexualized culture and being in a hypersexualized relationship can really change your self-perception and really make you put so much emphasis on your body. So I'm really glad that you touched on all of that. And, and the last thing I, I really loved was the, the piece on your inner critic. Like, uh, there's one thing I like to say, like, if, if I had a friend who talked to me the way I talked to me, would I be their friend? You know, it's kind of the reverse of what you said. It's just like, absolutely not. You would boot them. You'd give them the boot either that, or you'd have really low self-esteem. Right. And, And neither, neither is good. Um, and so I, I just love that we have to have a higher standard for ourselves in our inner dialogue. And so I just completely agree with, with everything that you're saying. Um, if, if we're constantly self-rejecting ourselves or if we've dealt with rejection when it comes to relationships, mm-hmm. sometimes it could be so triggering that we fear it mm-hmm. proactively. Um, and so we walk around with this fear of rejection, even if we're not rejected. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what would you say, what advice would you give um, to someone to overcome the fear of rejection? Yeah, it's a great question. So I say this in the intro of my book, and I'm like, here's the reality we all need to know. There is no magic vaccine to make rejection disappear forever. Just like we all want COVID-19 to disappear forever and never come back. Like we can't do that with rejection. It will continue to come at us. I mean, we can control our own self-rejections. That's what we have ownership of. The external rejections, people rejecting us, not treating us well, um, betraying us, doing things like like we can't control their actions. Um, Nothing in this world will allow us to control those things. And so it destroys us when we try to. But what fear does and often what it can, fear, fear can act like, I'm believing so much in this fear because it's giving me a sense of control over the situation. Because if I fear this thing, then it's like I'm picturing what's going to happen. But what you're picturing is the worst case scenario. And that may never actually happen that way. So the now I just talked about the intro of my book, the conclusion of my book, I actually talk about, you know, we go through all these rejections in the book. Now, where are we at today? And what I say in the conclusion is like, hey, I still go through rejection. It doesn't mean that I am invincible or some sort of warrior that um, doesn't feel anything anymore. And it doesn't mean that just because I have better tools to fight for myself and have healed way more deeply from the rejections in my past, that rejection isn't going to hit me and still hurt or affect me because that will happen. That does happen. I went through a breakup last year and that was really hard for me. I wasn't, I cried so much. I had to process through that grief. But what I say, and I like to picture is this. So I like to picture like all of our main emotions, um, as like all these little kids on a school bus and you know, you have 
anger, you have joy, you have surprise, you have fear and sadness. You have all those like emotions plus others on a school bus. And they're all the kids in the back seat. You are the driver of the bus. So you have both your hands at the front wheel. So you are driving that bus, right? What is important is that all of those emotions are going to scream at you at different points in time. And fear can often sometimes sit in the front seat and become the loudest, like, and it like overtakes any other emotion (laughs) oftentimes. And what can happen is if you have that backseat driver just in your ear constantly, 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 and you're listening to it the whole time, you will start veering off course sometimes and, or take unexpected turns. Maybe you end something unexpectedly or like you run away from something or you don't even put yourself out there. I'm not even going to go down that road because I'm so fearful of where it may lead and you may miss opportunities of amazing things that God actually wants you to experience. So instead of saying like, I want to remove all fear from my life, I actually think we can see fear as an opportunity. So that fear, whatever it is, that thing whispering in your ear, you know, I don't think we should necessarily tune it out entirely. What I think we need to do is we hear it. Okay. Thank you. I hear you. Um, I appreciate you. Um, I'm going to get curious on why you're warning me of that thing. Oh, you're warning me of that thing of this guy, because you are afraid that you're going to be in an abusive relationship again, because you do not want to go through that pain again. Okay. I appreciate you. And I thank you. And I trust myself and I trust my discernment and my gut. And I'm not feeling right now that this is an untrustworthy person. So I appreciate you, but I'm going to move forward. So that's how I deal with my fear. And I, 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 it's there. It's not like it never speaks. <laughs> it definitely speaks. But the thing is that we have to allow Okay, thank you. I think sometimes, though, when we don't allow that, we don't just give, uh, understand why the fear is there, it will keep popping up over and over and over again. So we have to address the fear. We have to say, why is this fear popping up for me a lot? Okay, I need to get curious to understand it. That is really important. I see a lot of Christians just teaching, like, don't be fear, like, get rid of fear and, and, and compartmentalize it, move it away. I actually think fear can help us to understand so much about ourselves, about things that we, that have happened to us, about what God is trying to speak to us on different layers of healing we may need to still do. And that's great, but it just allows us to, uh, to change. It allows us to, um, to move forward in further healing. Now, fear can also sometimes be a good thing. I will say like, if you are, um, suddenly come across a lion, like, um, you should run. And the fear kicking in there is a good thing. Yes, I want to run away from a lion. I don't want to just be like, no fear, you're cool. I'm going to just keep sitting with this lion that looks ravenous. No, I'm going to run away. And that's a good like use of the fear. Ah, this is dangerous. I need to get out of here, right? So fear isn't all bad. I just want to say that. It's just how we let it dictate our life. Never, ever, ever am I going to give fear the permission to take over the driver's seat of my bus that I should be driving and drive my bus. That's the point. You are addressing the fear. You're allowing it a little bit of space, but you're not allowing it to get to take over and sit in that driver's seat. I mean, if you take it to my example, I mean, you'd never let a child drive a bus, right? So that is just a little child with emotions that's trying to alert you things. Do not let them drive the bus of your life. Um, So you consistently have the decision of where you are going and you have your hands gripped on the heel, the wheel connected to God and the Holy Spirit within you to discern your emotions and what they're saying to you. Emotions are not bad or negative. 
And so when we walk through the future, um, once we can understand what has happened to us in the past, we have experienced healing from it. We can walk through the future saying, yeah, fear of rejection may still happen, but I do not want it to be so overwhelmingly loud that it, uh, it makes it so that I don't step into beautiful opportunities that God may want to use in my life. I also don't want it to be so that I don't enjoy the opportunities that I am in. So I'm in a new relationship. I don't want my fear to be so loud that I can't even relax in front of this guy I'm talking to because I'm just so afraid of him breaking my heart or being not who I think he is. Or, you know, I want to be able to be present, to enjoy this experience, to sit across someone and just experience this man of God that God created and have no other expectation except for that in that moment. So fear is going to happen. If it, if it does happen, get curious with it, write it down, process it, just make sure that you still have the, your hands on the wheel and you are controlling what you're doing, where you're going in tandem with God speaking to you. (laughs) I love that picture. um, of, of the, the, the analogy of the illustration of the boss. I think that is so helpful for us to remember, Hey, our emotions don't run our lives. Um, and what's, uh, one thing that my counselor told me, she was like, emotions are typically indicators. You know, I'm the type of person I feel emotions very deeply and, um, I try to reject them because I'm like, Oh, feelings go away. Feelings. (laughs) Why are you there? I'm I'm such a deep feeler, but I simultaneously wish I was just a thinker and didn't have to deal with emotion. Um, and I kept telling, you know, my counselor how just irritated I am with having these emotions. And she's like, Amanda, your feelings are indicators and you have to see what messages they're sending you. And they're yes. typically indicating something. And so if you sit in the feelings um, and give yourself some space to um, indicate the messages that they're sending, these messages could be based on truth or they could be based on lies and you could be hurting your feelings over something that's just simply false. Yeah. Um, and many times that's the case with fear. And so yes. um, sometimes when we take a moment to assess the messages that we're getting from our fear, um, it really revolutionizes it and also gives us the power to uproot it from its root. Um, yes. so, it's back. so I just, yes. I, I love everything that she said. So for those of us who have experienced rejection and, you know, some of us may even be dealing with friendship rejection, mm-hmm. um, even not romantic, um, how would you, how would you help someone take the pain of that rejection mm-hmm. and be able to harness it and push it, push them towards purpose past that? Yeah. So man, and here's what I believe about pain. And I think the question is, what do we think about pain? And what do we think about God when it comes to pain? And, you know, the Bible is very clear that we are, as Christians, we are not going to live a life that is free of pain. We don't become a Christian and then transport to some candy land version of life with lollipops, gumdrops, roses, and everything is holly jolly. That is just not what we are to expect. And so when hard years like 2020 happen, you know, it, it was unprecedented in in every way possible. I don't think anyone expected any of what was going to happen in 2020. And yet we can say, well, God promised me that hard things were going to happen. And so I may not understand the why. That's the first thing. You're not necessarily going to understand why the pain happens when it does. And I think that we need to 
first recognize that because what I see so often, especially with the women I work with, um, you know, they're so set on finding that control to know why it happened. If only I could figure out why it happened, why he ended things, why this friend doesn't want to be friends with me anymore, why that horrible thing happened, then I can feel free. But sometimes in the moment, God doesn't want you to know all the answers to why, because you may actually, and this is a hard truth to swallow, you may not be prepared for all the reasons for why. Your brain may not be prepared. Your heart may not be ready. And so instead of focusing on the why, we need to focus on what to do to move forward with God as we process through this pain. And I'm just going to give an example because last year I went through a breakup, as I mentioned earlier, and I'll be very honest that I totally saw myself being with this guy. And I was like, this is my redemption story. I wrote a book on rejection. I'm with this amazing man. I'm going to marry him. This is like, everything's coming together. Full picture. This is great. Um, But then it ended and it ended three days before we were going on a trip to visit our families. And so at the moment, at the time that really stung because I was so excited about this trip and it was even worse, you know, the timing. And yet I look back now. And so at first I was like, whoa, 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 God, why would this happen right now? And then like, we're supposed to go visit the families. Like that would make everything better. Like, don't you think that would just connect us more? And I was so like, just distraught, but instead of focusing on all the why, I really leaned into, okay, God, this doesn't make sense. Don't get it. What can, what can you do to help me just walk through each day? And I asked God, just give me the grace just for today to handle each day as it comes. I don't know what next week holds, next month, next year. God, do I have to talk about being rejected right before my book on rejection comes out? Like that feels devastating at the moment. At that time, I was like, what? I don't want to do that again right before this. But I felt so clearly just focus on the what, not the why, Kate. And so I focus on the what. A few weeks later, um, some more information about that relationship came up and it started revealing to me, oh, wait a second. This is now making a little more sense. And Amanda, I didn't know all the reasons. And I still today, months later, don't know all the reasons. But God will reveal all of his goodness through time. And we just so, as humans, we want the control. We want to know why. We want to know all the answers. We want to do what we can to just have that sense of like, I know what's going to happen where I'm going to go. But that's the part of being a follower of Christ and a human that we don't have any control of a lot of things except for ourselves. And we, we won't always know why the pain that happened did happen, um, but God will reveal it through time. And so um, as people fight for themselves, you fight for each day to focus on what you can specifically do for your healing to move forward. Um, and then as you fight for yourself in that journey, because only you are really going to fight for yourself, you have to do it. You have to take the steps to really fight for yourself, fight for your healing, fight for the friendships that are going to be pouring into you, fight to go to therapy, fight against those shame narratives, whatever you do, you have to fight for it in tandem with the Lord. 
But over time, you will see how God is taking the ashes and making beauty from it. And I even believe that even as we're in 2021 now, and even with hard things in 2021, as we're seeing, like I still believe and I feel wholeheartedly that God is making beauty from the ashes and that we don't know every way that it's going to come together. And it may take more layers of unraveling till we get there. But I believe undoubtedly that he is going to do it. And we don't know. Again, it's not on our timeline. It's on his timeline. Maybe I'm not even going to see some of the beauty happen because maybe it'll happen like later on after I'm gone from this earth. But he will make beauty from the ashes unexpectedly. Um, a picture of that for me and what that has looked like is in the wake of a heartbreak I talk about in chapter five of my book years ago that happened. Um, I was devastated at the, in that breakup. And um a few months after is when I felt God calling me to start Heart of Dating. And I honest to goodness believe that if I hadn't been broken up with, I would have never started my ministry, my platform. I would have been knee deep with this guy. Wouldn't have seen like I had to speak on dating. No, I would have been with it with this guy and probably pivoted to something else in my life. But I know, and I can see now years later that God used that heartbreak and that grief and all my rawness to propel me into starting this ministry that led me into helping and coaching people that led me into being an author that led me to sitting in front of you today. And years ago, I would have rejected the idea of this happening because I would have been like, no, 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 that sounds crazy. Like that, I'm never going to do that, you know, but God transformed that pain and is now using that as my purpose. And so maybe your purpose will be to start a ministry, maybe, or maybe it'll just be now you are the one that can help somebody through their darkest painful hour. Maybe you're the empathetic ear that somebody desperately needs when they're in that place of being rejected by a friend, being turned down by a job, or God forbid, being in an abusive relationship, maybe you're now the voice that is like, man, I recognize those signs now that I'm out of it. And I am going to help come alongside this person that I can clearly see is in the midst of something really toxic and terrible. Um, God is going to use you no matter what way that's going to look. And even the small ways are big to God. It doesn't have to be like you have this giant platform, but he will transform your pain and use it as purpose in your life in some way. And, but the only way we can do that truly is by facing what has happened and continuing to press forward and healing as hard as it may be. There is goodness around the corner. It is, I don't know when, um, you may experience glimmers of it right now, but it is coming in some way, shape or form. And so I want everyone to know, listening, I'm on the journey with you. I have no idea how God's going to fully use my last relationship. Like I, that sucked. I mean, it really did. Uh, and I'm going to sit here and say that I don't want to pretend like, Oh, I'm all great. No, it sucks. I hate it. I hate, I hated that, that it had to end but I'm confident that God will continue to show me through time why that happened um, and continue to, to move that pain into some purpose in my life. And maybe it's doing this interview, you know? So that's what I would say to all of that. I love how you connected it to your personal story and how the specific pain of experiencing breakups pushed you to your ministry. I think that sometimes when we see somebody's end game or somewhere, uh, someone in the middle of their story, um, we're like, okay, well, I want to walk in purpose too. I, I want my pain to have meaning too. 
Um, but then there's this pressure of how in the world am I going to make that happen? I have my whole life's calling in front of me. Now, how do I make it happen? And I love how you broke it down so granular. Like it's, it's one step at a time, one day at a time. And I think that if you think about your entire life's calling, you're going to be overwhelmed. Um, but when we remember that it's a day at a time, a step at a time, God's, God's mercies are new every morning. I believe that it gives us the strength and the power and the confidence to move forward. And I think you really embody that. And I want to thank you for just having the courage to move forward. I think a lot of us would be debilitated by the things that you've, you've been through when it comes to breakups and the subsequent breakups and all of that. But because you're pushing forward, you're helping so many people. And so I just want to thank you. That. You. So after this interview, I'm, I'm sure so many people will want to read your book um, and also follow you. So let us know where we can find your book, how we can keep up with you and all of that. Yeah, I would love that. Well, come over on the gram, connect with me at Kateness, K-A-I-T-N-E-S-S. And at Heart of Dating, we have two Instagrams, our podcast, Heart of Dating. And then my book is, you can go to tyfrm.com or thankyouforrejectingme.com or katewarman.com. Literally, like, you're going to find it. If you press Kate Warman book, you're going to find some website. Um, it is on, you can get it anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, all the major places. Uh, so you can definitely get it. And I'm so excited about it. I want to say this. It is definitely a book for basically any person that has dealt with rejection. Uh, I just, I am a dating coach and you will get a lot out of this if you are single. And if you're not single, this will still relate to your life. Like absolutely, because we go through so many rejections, even in our relationships currently. And so I think that that shows up in how we walk through our lives every single day. And so even if you're not single, I think you're probably going through some sort of rejection at some moment. So I just want to say that as well, because man, I just poured my heart into this book and wanted it to be for the woman who not only is single, but who is dealing with rejection in any form in her life right now. So, yeah, I think that's perfect. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Kate. Thanks, Amanda. This has been so fun. Love you, girl. Okay. All right, guys, that's the end of today's conversation. If you're a part of the Confident Woman community, then do your part. Leave a review, a five-star podcast rating, and spread the word. If you haven't already, join our Facebook community and follow us on Instagram at Confident Woman Co. As always, stay confident.